Good morning. My name is Thad Lanthrop. I'm the executive pastor here, and I am excited to kick off our Christmas message series. And it's just an exciting time in general. The building is getting decorated this week, and it looks great. Uh, we're also decorating at our house, and one of the main decorations at our house is the nativity scene. Here's a picture of one of the nativities that we have around our house. And the nativity, it's this reminder of Jesus' birth. And key persons that were uh, a part of his birth. Today we're kicking off this message series that we're calling the Forgotten Day of Christmas. We usually remember Joseph and Mary and the wise men and the shepherds and we remember the stable and even the animals. That all makes it into our nativity scenes. But a couple of the characters we're looking at in this series we don't usually remember. Their names are Simeon and Anna, and these are two of the main characters that we're going to look at in the Forgotten Day of Christmas message series. So what is this Forgotten Day? Well, let's take a look at Luke 2, through 24, and see what this Forgotten Day is all about. It says, And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So what we see here is that Mary, Joseph and Jesus, um, they are at the temple in Jerusalem and they are there because that's what the law of Moses tells them to do. You can read more about this law in Leviticus 12, but the ritual was part of the law that God gave Moses to tell the people of Israel to do. And the purification was when a mother would have a male child, then she would go to the temple around 40 days after the birth to offer a sacrifice for purification. Now, verse 23, it also notes that they were presenting Jesus to the Lord. This would be similar to like we have our parent and child dedication that's coming up next week. This is similar to that. So Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, they're here at the temple and they're following what God has told them to do through the law of Moses. And that's where one of our main characters in this series comes in, into the scene. Take a look at what happens here with Simeon. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Now, what's interesting about this man, Simeon, is there's no other mention of him through the rest of the Bible that, that we can tell. He is a forgotten man, but he has something to tell us. Look at what he says. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms, blessed God, and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant die in peace 
according to your word, for your, my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Now, this is really an amazing story when you slow down to look at it. First of all, the Holy Spirit revealed to Simeon that he wasn't going to die until he saw the Lord's Christ. He wouldn't die until he saw the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit leads him to the temple. The exact day that Mary is there for purification. There's no mention that this is a day where everybody would be going to the temple. It doesn't seem like a significant day other than the fact that Jesus was going to be there. Simeon goes and then he does something unusual. He recognizes the baby, picks him up, and declares that he is the one that Israel has been waiting for. Not every day that somebody picks up a baby and declares that is the Messiah. That's exactly what Simeon does. And what the people of Israel have been waiting for is they've been waiting for the consolation of Israel. Waiting can be a hard thing to do, isn't it? It's especially hard for kids around Christmas. My six-year-old wants a wooden pocket knife. Here's a picture of the pocket knife. He'd really want a real one, but told him he needs to prove himself with this one first, especially since I almost sliced my finger off last Christmas with my pocket knife. So he keeps asking me over and over and over again, Dad, I really want a wooden pocket knife. I said, I know, bud. When can I get it? It's almost Christmas time, so hopefully for Christmas. Ah, I can't wait that long, Dad. In his mind, that might be as well be 10 years from now and not 22 days from now. But waiting, it's a difficult thing to do. Whether it's a child waiting for Christmas to arrive, or if you're waiting for God to bring some relief in the middle of a difficult season of life. Israel as a nation, they were waiting for God to send the Messiah in the middle of a history that had lots of ups and downs in it. And now here they are at Jesus' times of birth and they're, they're, they're under Roman rule. Here's a map of the Roman Empire at the time of Jesus. You can see Jerusalem in the bottom Uh, right of the map, and that's where Mary and Joseph and Jesus were, where Simeon declares that he's the consolation of Israel. Israel was allowed to practice their religion under the Romans, but they were looked down upon. They, it was not, they had not, they did not have high status in society, and it was rough. Israel's waiting for God to send his son, in the middle of some difficult times. Do you ever feel like you're waiting for God like that? Like, is there something right now that's going on in your life that you're waiting for God and it's just difficult? It's hard. Because waiting's hard. It's difficult because we don't know what's going to happen next. 
we don't know the end result of the situation that we're facing. And in the waiting, we can be filled with this anxiety or fear or thoughts of what I should have done differently because we don't know what's going to happen next. Well, Simeon's waiting, it's something that we aren't waiting on anymore. We know Jesus was the consolation of Israel. Simeon was right. And he continues to be the consolation for God's people today. Consolation is something that we all need at different times. Israel's up and down history mirrors our own up and down history. We know times of glory like Israel had, but we also know times of sin and loss. We know times of great sadness because of the sin and loss. I don't know about you, but when someone's experiencing great sadness, oftentimes I don't I don't know the best way to console them. I don't know what I should say. I don't know how to help. I just feel inadequate in those times. Well, Simeon is telling us here, the consolation is here. Not a consolation for a short time that someone can say the right words to make you feel better, but the consolation. And the word consolation that was originally written in Greek here the translation something like a calling to one side. What this means for us is that God's people today can call on Jesus to be by our side. That's why we celebrate Christmas. The consolation of Israel was born and we can live life with him by our side. It's amazing. So let's fast forward from around 40-day-old Jesus to 33-year-old Jesus. And let's see how we can live life being consoled by him. And what we see as we look in the Bible and look at how Jesus lived and, and how he consoled the people around him, what we see, the first thing that we see is that we need to believe. We are consoled when we see Jesus for who he really is. In John 11, Jesus hears that one of his good friends is about to die. And in this situation, in this story, we can really see what it looks like to believe in Jesus. It's really an amazing story. So let's pick up where Jesus is telling his disciples that he's going to go back to Judea. And his disciples start to question him because they just left Judea not too long ago. And th those people were trying to stone Jesus. But look at what, how Jesus answers in John eleven nine and 10. He says, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because... He sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. So the disciples are worried here about going back to a place where the people are trying to kill Jesus. 
and be stoned to death. And Jesus responds with, are there not 12 hours in the day? He's talking about 12 hours of light, 12 hours of darkness. What What is that all about? Well, light in the Bible, that was typically in reference to good. And dark was in reference to evil. And Jesus is telling them, look to me instead of the circumstances you see before you. I'm the light of the world. Walk with me and your path will be illuminated with light. Even in the darkness, the one who has the light sees his way forward. We are consoled. We have Jesus by our side when we believe that he is with us and that he's going to show us the way forward. So the disciples and Jesus, they go to Judea. They walk down the path that Jesus is telling them to go with him by their side. And they go to the town where Lazarus had died. And Martha meets Jesus before he makes it to the village. And she says, if you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. And there's some dialogue that goes back and forth. And then in John 11, 25 and 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Martha goes on to say that she believes. And Jesus says that those who believe will see the glory of God. And they go to the tomb where Lazarus was buried. And Jesus prays to God. And then when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. His hands and feet were bound with linen strips. His face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. He's the resurrection and the life. Well, then just a few weeks later, Jesus was facing death on the cross. Like Lazarus, he was buried in a tomb and it was covered with a stone and it was sealed with guards because the rumors of Jesus' power over death had spread. And the rulers of the area wanted to make sure that his body stayed Put. But it didn't. Three days later, he came out of the tomb, proving his power over death. And the question that Jesus asked Martha is the question everyone must answer. Do you believe this? Do you believe in Christ? If not, I want to encourage you. Do whatever you need to do. Investigate the Bible. Investigate Jesus. Was there a man who did these things? Investigate it all. See, our culture tells us that belief is just some feelings that we can generate. It can be a lot like wishful thinking. That's not what belief in Christ is. Belief in Christ is knowing that he was the resurrection and the life. He is the resurrection, 
and the life. And when we believe that to be true, we can call on the Savior of the world to be by our side to walk through life. That gives us confidence in any waiting that we are going through. So we are consoled as we see Jesus for who he was, who he is, and we believe in him. We are consoled also as we follow him. We're consoled as we seek Jesus. John 8:12 says again, Jesus spoke to them saying, "I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life." True belief in Jesus is going to be accompanied by actions. These actions are following him, walking in the light, doing what he has told us to do. And as we do that, he will be by our side, showing us the next step to take with him. And then the next step to take with him. The consolation that comes from believing and following Christ is real. It gives us life to the full. And I've asked Brad and Lindsay Rosman to share some examples from their life recently of how they have experienced the consolation of Christ through a medical emergency with their son, Luke. Here's a picture of Luke. I shared uh, the story of Luke's medical crisis a few weeks ago, but I want to do a quick recap before Brad and Lindsay um, share their testimony with us. Last year around this time, Luke was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, and he also had pneumonia. And what happened with the pneumonia is he'd get better from it, and then he'd get it again, and then he'd get better, and then he would get it again. And in that process, through some x-rays, they they saw this mass that was in his lung, and it wasn't going away. And over time, they realized this mass was actually blocking two-thirds of his lung. And they didn't know what the mass was. They didn't know. Uh, they couldn't get pathology on it or anything like that, but they knew it needed to come out. And so in August, uh, this last August, Luke had surgery. And the surgery ended up taking 11 hours because Luke's lungs are abnormal. He had a birth, um, a congenital diaphragmatic hernia at, at birth. And that has made his lungs different than everybody else's. And so the surgeon was literally having to make up the surgery as he was going. It should have been less than half of that time, but it took 11 hours. But they got the mass out and they removed two-thirds of his lungs. But Luke's recovery from the surgery, it did not go well. And two days after the surgery, the doctors had run out of options to help Luke. And they told Brad and Lindsay and the fam to, to gather their family to the hospital to say goodbye to Luke. Here's a picture of the Rosman's older kids spending time with Luke and praying with him. Brad and Lindsay got word out, people to pray for Luke. We... People from all around the world prayed and asked God for a miracle, and God saved his life. 
doctors came in the next day with hugs for the Rosman saying they didn't think that they would still be there after after the night. Luke wasn't dead and in a tomb like Lazarus, but he was about as close as you could get. But God saved him. And after a long hospital stay, Luke was able to come home. Here's a picture of him coming home. As you can imagine, the Rosmans had to fight to choose to believe and follow Christ during this time. So I want, uh, so I'm going to ask the Rosmans some questions to really encourage us all to see how Jesus is by our side in any situation. So the first question I have is, can you tell of a specific time where you knew that Jesus was by your side? On that bad night that Dad just spoke about, the doctor sat us down and gave us the news. By nature, I'm not uh, very much of a feeler, uh, but in that moment, I fully broke down. I had an overwhelming sense of hopelessness and helplessness, and I really just wanted to go hide somewhere. But knowing that I had decisions to make, medical updates to process, questions to ask, and a family that needed me, I said a quick prayer. I told the Lord that I really wanted to spend the next 30 minutes honoring him with how I approached them and that I couldn't do it on my own. I needed his help. And almost in an instant, that feeling of dread lifted, and I was able to look Lindsay in the face and decide that if this is the end, that we are going to face it with faith, we're going to say goodbye the right way, we're going to include others in how we do it, and we are going to pray until the very end. But without Jesus' immediate help, I never would have gotten out of the chair that I was sitting in. And in the hours that followed, Jesus showed himself in many other ways. Luke started showing small signs of improvement fairly soon afterwards. Also, the website that we shared uh, prayer updates on got between seven and 8,000 views over the course of that night. And occasionally checking and seeing that number grow uh, really helped me feel God's presence. So thank you to all of those that may be watching uh, who were part of that prayer chain with us. When Luke was on the operating table for his thoracotomy to have the mass and most of his right lung removed, my heart was just aching for 11 hours. And there was a moment when I got an operating room update and had a very physical response. I felt sick thinking about what was happening to Luke's body at the time. I texted dear friends and asked for prayer, and one friend sent me this photo. And this consoled me. We had asked Jesus to guide the hands of the surgeon and to comfort Luke to be by his side when we couldn't. And this reminded me of that truth in a very real way. And on the night when Luke's body was shutting down and dying, the Lord consoled me. He was by my side. God used one of Luke's very committed doctors to remind us in our hardest moment to cling to our faith. And I kept thinking about that. It's a choice. When we cling to something, it's an action. We have to do it. As I chose to cling to Jesus, he was so faithful to console and provide what was needed for each moment. It was very personal to me and what I needed and very real. In the middle of the night, probably around 3 a.m., Brad and I decided to each take a turn napping. And while Brad napped, I prayed over Luke's body, heart, and soul, thanking God for the gift of salvation that Luke had accepted the previous week. 
I massaged his swollen legs and arms and thought about heaven. If Luke went to heaven that night, he would be in the best possible place, with no more illness. What would it be like for him? Heaven is real, and it will be perfect. Luke would close his eyes here on earth and open them to his loving Savior. That is the biggest consolation that God gave me as a mom. And I remembered all of the amazing things that God had done for Luke since the day he was born. And in the hardest night of my life, those truths were Jesus helping me remember what's real and true. And I genuinely felt the presence of the Lord in our ICU room. There was a peace that is only explainable by Christ. I treasure that moment of being Luke's mom and God being my loving father. It's amazing how Jesus is there to comfort us, to console us, and to help us. What are some specific ways that Jesus consoled you during this time? Over a long and tough year with Luke's health, God has always known what I need as a father and a husband. Lots of what I've had to go through and do are not a role that I ever would have chosen to take, but it is a role that God has placed me in for now. And it's in these moments that he has been extremely faithful to give me exactly what I need to get through it. And that's when I feel the comfort of Jesus's presence. And that's the principle at work here. God will help all of us get past our own limitations. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, God says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And during our time in the hospital, I experienced God's strength in my weaknesses physically, mentally, and emotionally. He gave me strength to be an active participant in injections and procedures with Luke, things that are very much hospital-wise out of my comfort zone. He helps me understand Luke's health his test results, and his scans. And in Luke's case, a lot of these are very rare and complex. And an understanding of these allows me to be an advocate for Luke and to intercede on his behalf. And when hard situations comes up, God gives me the power to stay in the moment so that I can be there for Lindsay and for the kids to support them and to still make decisions for Luke. And without Jesus' support in these areas, my weaknesses would be problematic. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4 says that God is the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, and that when we suffer, he comforts us so that we in turn can comfort others. Suffering is a shared human experience, so we can see our suffering in the moment as a way that God will connect our hearts to others in the future, and that gives it purpose. Suffering is never for nothing. The night Luke's body was shutting down, the Lord clearly brought two of our mentors to mind, Harold and Deborah Bullock, who are Gina Lanthrop's mom and dad, whom we have learned from for many years. They lost their daughter, Natalie, in 1985. They chose to share their story of loss, struggle, grief, and hope through the years at several wisdom conferences that Brad and I chose to attend. We knew from hearing them honestly share their story that God carried them through their loss, their suffering, and that God would carry us through ours. I know that God is using Luke's story of suffering in many ways, and that's how God works. 
He takes the very hard, and he can use it for good if we allow him to, in ways that are unexplainable yet very real. Jesus also consoled us by meeting very real needs, things that we didn't have to worry about in the middle of crisis because Jesus was taking care of us. This includes the following things. A family who loves, sacrifices, and supports us in so many ways. Financial provision. Um, God used our amazing surgeons, top specialists, nurses, and others in the hospital to console us. He knew what we needed. A house for our family to live in for our entire two-month stay in Texas. Here is a picture of Luke in front of it. Physical energy when I was beyond exhausted. Through Luke's big Four big hospitalizations and many long days and nights. God supplied us with energy. As I think back on it, I don't know how we did it, except by the power of Christ. I was also thinking how Jesus consoles us in our home. Uh, Jesus fills our home, and it is a refuge. And it is full of joy, laughter, forgiveness, peace. And Logan and Claire show sacrificial and the sweetest love to their brother daily. They are a tangible way that Jesus has consoled Luke. If I look at the overall picture of this, the story that God wrote and is writing, it is that Jesus is by our side, going before us, taking care of all that we will need. We also want to specifically highlight how Jesus consoled us through the CIV community, because you stepped into our valley and walked through it with us. Jesus is the centerpiece of biblical community. So when you show us concern, it in turn is Christ comforting us. Just one example of how I received this is the men here at CIV did not let me go through this alone, really showing a pattern of the Corinthians first that Lindsay already spoke about. There was a 12-day period where we wanted Luke watched 24 hours a day, and that led to some lonely uh, and hard nights just sitting and watching him. That's a lot of opportunity for fear and sadness and dread to set in. Several men here at CIV would regularly text me at various times throughout my nights. They would text me to encourage me, pray for me, or even just to distract me and talk for a little while. And my brother-in-law also took shifts during these long nights with me so that I could get a little bit of sleep. Having men to walk shoulder to shoulder with in this way is not common And it showed me great compassion that I am committed to being for other men in the future as they walk through their own valleys. And one final question is, how do you need Jesus's consolation as you move forward in some of the unknowns about Luke's health? I need Jesus's consolation in the unknowns of Luke's future. His doctors have said that this horrible fungus could grow back in his body. God knows Luke's number of days. I do not. Worry can pop up often as I am currently asking God to help me have victory over it. God reminds me that we've had practice with battling worry. In our last hospital stay, there were times that they thought Luke's organs would not come back. They thought he had brain damage. They thought his vocal cords were damaged. And God helped us each time. Faith over fear. Matthew 6 has a lot to say about worrying. In it, the Lord tells us, do not worry about tomorrow. This is a command, and it is not based on my circumstances. Fear and worry are like thieves that want to rob us of the joy, the purpose, the mission that God has for us today. 
But Jesus is very clear when he says in Matthew 6, Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? My worries will not add a single moment to Luke's life. If I choose to live in fear, it is unwise, unhelpful, and actually harmful for my mind, spirit, and responsibilities that God has given me. God has given me this new mission as a medical mama, and I would not have chosen it. But yet, if God has given it to me, then I believe that it is the best role for me, and he will console me through any long days and nights, because this is God's good plan for us. God is helping me accept this with joy and contentment, and I am grateful to him for that. And our perspective has also shifted to see what really matters at home with our kids. Focus on the most important things and really enjoy our time with our children. Every day is a gift. Because according to experts, Luke should not be here today. But God said otherwise. Not us, not the best doctors, but God. So I know it is not only true, but very real, that nothing is going to stop God's plan for Luke's life. His purpose. Luke has had major surgeries and illnesses, yet God gave Luke everything he needs to walk through it, and that consoles me. Luke is tough and brave. He has a strong and truly joyful spirit, and when he play fights and wrestles, he is all fight, no flight. Uh, God knew. We have watched Luke fight for life, and we've seen God care for him. And I know that God will continue to do that. Thankfully, Luke made it through this hard time. But I often think about how things would be different if he hadn't, or if in the future he doesn't. In reality, the things he's overcome so far could recur any day. So looking into the future, a big part of the consolation we have in Jesus is hope. And one element of that hope is in Jesus' character. Even when things change for the good or for the bad, Jesus is the same every day in past and in the future. He is the same kind, loving, compassionate, and sacrificial God that he has always been. Another side of the hope that we have is a hope in eternity. All of our bodies are broken here on earth, and we all have pains and illnesses and sadness. Speaking about heaven, Revelation 21 tells us they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Knowing that Luke believes in Jesus and has accepted his free gift of salvation provides so much hope that even if the worst happens, His broken body will be perfected in God's hands. A song that we sing here often at CIV is You've Already Won. And that's a song that has meant a lot to our family over this last year, especially the lyrics that say, I know how the story ends. We will be with you again. You are my savior, my defense. No more fear in life or death. This song is a daily reminder to me that because of our savior, Jesus, There is no more fear in life or death because we know how the story ends. And that provides a tremendous amount of hope to get through a moment of fear. That's how Jesus 
consoles us. He meets us where we are at and he walks with us. He walks by our side as we believe and follow him. He was the consolation that the Rosmans needed and he wants to be the consolation for you too. So the question is, do we believe Jesus and are we willing to follow him? Before Luke's surgery, the board of directors here at CIB gathered to pray for for Luke. And I was there when Brad prayed to God, even if this ends in tragedy, we will follow you. If we believe and follow, then we're going to find Jesus by our side, helping us with whatever we are facing, and he will give us what we need to get through whatever we are going through. Jesus is the consolation for God's people. Are you ready to believe and follow him? Each week we have next steps that you can take in response to the message, and this is really, we want to believe God's word. We want to follow and do what he says to do. And that's what these next steps are all about. And so the first next step you might want to take today is to commit to, is to commit my life to follow Jesus Christ for the first time. If you haven't done that yet, choose to do that. Choose to take that first step of believe or choose to To set out to investigate, is Jesus who he said he was? The next next step that you might want to take is to call Jesus by my side to help me with fill in the blank. Is there something you need some consolation? You need Jesus' help. You need him by your side. Write it down. Set out to ask God for help, to be by your side as you face that. And then the last next step is to meditate. That means to think over and over and over again. Meditate on how Jesus is the consolation. As we think about something over and over and over again, we start to see more and more ways that it applies to our our life. Think about Jesus as Christmas is coming and think about him as the consolation and how he wants to be by your side, helping you go through whatever it is. Think about it over and over and over again and the different ways that it can apply to your life. Jesus is the consolation for God's people. Let's pray and ask for his help as we move forward. God, we thank you so much that you are the consolation for us. We can call you to be by our side, and you'll help us with it. Whatever we're facing, help us to do that, Lord. Help us to remember who you are and that you're there and you want to be with us, to give us what we need, to experience life to the fullness that you have for us. We ask for your help to do that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.